And welcome to Rush the Field, the all-college football show. I'm your host, Jay Binkley, with the great Julio Sanchez producing the operation. The same cast of characters join us this week, as usual, including John Kurtz, who's on his way to Lubbock for Kansas State uh, versus Texas Tech this weekend. Gary Pinkle, legendary Gary Pinkle, that joins me each and every week talking Mizzou at about 8.30. And, of course, Josh Klingler, Kansas sideline reporter, talking KU Jayhawks. For Kansas State, though, interesting game and one that they want to have come back. Deggy takes one step forward, and that will be it. Start the celebration. The West Virginia University Mountaineers have come into Manhattan, Kansas, and Neil Brown in his first season puts his signature on a victory. West Virginia upsets Kansas State 24-20. And this is a rough one for Kansas State. you got to think about beating Oklahoma a few weeks ago at home, then smashing Kansas in Lawrence. And, of course, that close game back and forth against Texas. They lose 27-24, to losing to West Virginia. And the one interesting thing about this is Jared Deggy was the quarterback. He transferred from Bowling Green. His brother was on the coaching staff. They cleaned coaching staff. He got a waiver to play right away, but he was the backup. And then West Virginia had another backup because Austin Kendall was the quarterback there. Allison transfers in the transfer portal, so it left Deggy to be the quarterback. I think they initially wanted to redshirt him so they'd have two years, watch him look at the clock of four games because he could probably finish the season out for West Virginia and still keep his redshirt. But he was second to Mac last year in yards and touchdown passes, and he certainly surprised Kansas State. This week, it's Kansas State, Texas Tech, 6 o'clock, right here on 610 Sports Radio. FS1 on TV playing a Texas Tech team that's got a new coaching staff, but it's the same old same old Texas Tech. It's a team that's lost four of its last five games. They've uh, they're last in the Big 12 in rushing defense, last in passing defense, second worst in overall total defense and scoring defense. So Texas Tech is finding some of the same problems. Skylar Thompson has set a career high the last two weeks in passing um, for Kansas State. Nearly had the record one yard shy of it against Texas, had 299 against West Virginia. For the Missouri Tigers, kind of the same old story for the Tigers. The snap coming to Trask, he takes a knee. Orange and blue prevailing here in Columbia, Missouri. The Gators win going away as Florida has beaten Missouri. The final score, the Gators 23 and Missouri 6. And this is uh, makes two straight games without a touchdown. For Missouri, is this offense really uh, circling, circling the drain at this point? Missouri held Florida 56 yards rushing, and three for 14 on third down. Defense showed up, did its part. They did fall 23 to six. But man, this season has changed after they beat Ole Miss at home. You're talking about a loss at Vanderbilt, a bad Vanderbilt team that was hammered by UNLV the week before that they beat Missouri. Then they lose to Kentucky to Lynn Bowden, a wide receiver playing quarterback. Then they lose to Georgia, as expected. Georgia's a good football team. Lose 27 to nothing. Lose 23 to 6 at home to Florida. So this jubilation of all of a sudden, you know, Georgia dropping that home game to South Carolina. All of a sudden, Missouri was top of the SEC East and things look good. But the Missouri Tigers have lost four straight games. Not only that, just 27 points in their last four games. This week, they'll play Tennessee. The Volunteers, new coaching staff. But I'll tell you this much about Tennessee. It's been a much different program. They've turned their season around. They're 5-5, five and five, just like Missouri. But they've won their last three games, including two in the SEC over South Carolina and Kentucky. That game's 6-30 on the SEC Network. 
or 98.1 FM. Brandon Kiley here at the station does what's called a True Sun podcast. It's on the 435 Podcast Network, like John Kurtz that has Faithful to Our Colors talking all Kansas State. He had Suishi Tirada. He's the new beat writer for the Kansas City Star for the Missouri Tigers. And he asked him a very simple question. What happened to this team? I remember the Saturday before it started the national. I mean, I was looking at, you know, I was looking at the games. I was looking at film. I mean, this team, this offense was just a well-oiled machine at that point, right? I mean, they hadn't scored after that one number exactly, but it was 32 points a game or whatever. They haven't scored below that. I mean, this this was a good football team, and based on what I saw on TV, like I, you could convince me that was a good football team. But it, it's been weird the last four games. I mean. I remember I was talking to it with a couple of buddies of mine, a couple of Mizzou buddies. It was just when when's the last time we've seen a football team collapse like this in the sense that they look so good through the opening six games of the season on offense, even Wyoming included. And then all of a sudden, I mean, they're laying eggs out here. It's it's just been ridiculous. It's, it's, it's honestly kind of surreal to watch. I mean, it, it really is kind of like a Houdini act. I mean, it's just been really weird. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I think. The way, the way, the kind of the vibe I get from the team is that, I mean, we ask, the media asks the team every week, like, what's wrong on offense? What's going on? And every week, it's been pretty much the same thing they've been saying in terms of it's the little things, it's the ex- execution thing. So I don't know what happened there. You know, I'm not going to act like I'm, I'm a new football expert yet. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to act like especially that I know football more than the coaches or anything like that. But, I mean, it's weird just this complete narrative shift. I mean, you mentioned, you know, that love letter to Derek Dewey. I mean, People are calling for his job now. Um, earlier this season, I know the narrative around the wider seasons was that maybe not having a go-to guy just spreading the ball is a good thing. Now all of a sudden the question is, is not having a go-to receiver a good thing in terms of they can't get open? I mean, you, you see so many things completely flip upside down, which is just incredible to see mid-season. I mean, usually you see that year to year in terms of the narrative completely flipping, but seeing that happen just completely flipping, is, like I said, it's kind of surreal. So... Yeah, I mean, I can't pinpoint anywhere, but I think that's a good starting point for them to do offenses in up to two to five, six weeks now. That's a Suichi Tirada, the Kansas State, or excuse me, the Missouri beat writer for the KC Star. Check out the full interview on demand right there at the 435 Podcast Network. Brandon Kiley, True Sun Podcast. For that, for the Kansas Jayhawks, been much of the same. Brown takes a snap, takes two steps forward, takes a knee, and that's the game. 31 to 13, Oklahoma State handles Kansas easily. And for Kansas, remember that BC game at the beginning of the year where they went on the road, won 48 to 24 in week three? Well, it's been six out of seven losses for Kansas with that Texas Tech game. The Kansas State plays this weekend. They actually beat them at home, and things were looking forward for the Kansas Jayhawks. They'll play Iowa State this weekend at 11 o'clock on Fox Sports Network. Then they'll finish the season at home against uh, a Baylor team that was, uh, well, they blew a 25-point lead to Oklahoma, undefeated Baylor this year. The college football playoffs have been announced again. Same group as last time, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Utah, Penn State, Oklahoma, and Minnesota. Now, the interesting thing here is what about Texas A&M? Can Texas A&M be a thorn in the side here? Because look at this. This is Texas A&M. This is all the losses they have. Clemson, Auburn, and Alabama. That's who Texas A&M's lost. Now, they'll play LSU. LSU, by the way, can clinch a spot in the SEC title game by a very easy victory against Arkansas at home this weekend. Ohio State, things get interesting. They play Penn State this weekend. Penn State's one of these teams 
that's looking forward to this game because they can get themselves back in the Big Ten race and maybe get another crack at Minnesota in the Big Ten title game. But the problem is, is Ohio State has been winning each game by 41 and a half points. That's right. There's no close games with Ohio State. Jeff Okuda, the best corner in the nation, plays for him. Chase Young, my favorite uh, pass rusher in the nation. 13 and a half sacks, second in the NCAA, playing for Ohio State. Georgia plays Texas A&M this weekend. And again, Texas A&M, what can they do? Can they give Georgia two losses? They've already clinched their way as winning the SEC West, but two losses might keep them out of a playoff. And then all of a sudden, here comes Oregon and Utah. Oregon is sixth. Utah is seventh. Both of them top 10 defenses in the country. I know, strange for the Pac-12. But they're at Oregon's at Arizona State. Then they'll play Oregon State. But they clinched the North win with a win over Arizona last week. Utah still has some work to do. Favored for the Big Ten South. But Oregon could face Utah in the title game. But if it's a two-loss Oregon team, who knows? Because remember, they lost to Auburn earlier this season. As far as college football around the horn this weekend, big loss for Alabama as Tua goes down. Probably one of the Heisman Trophy frontrunners. I think Burrow had taken that by beating Tua at Alabama, but Tua goes down for Alabama. Tua being chased from the pocket. He is hit and throws the ball on the near side. It is incomplete along the 30-yard line, and Tua is not getting up. Tua's helmet is off, and he is not getting up. He is down on all fours. His helmet is being retrieved by Alex Leatherwood. The trainers setting the world land record running across the field in blazing. And Nick Saban this week, his Tua had surgery this week, and he was in pretty good spirits. Looks like he'll resume throwing motions later this spring. Here's Nick Saban. Pleased that the surgery went well. We're pleased that the surgery went successfully, you know, today, and they expect him to have a full recovery. Also in college football, Georgia knocks off Auburn, and they clinch the SEC West. Fromm takes the snap from Trey Hill, takes a knee. That's it. No more snaps. 21 to 14, your final score. And Georgia is the winner and the Eastern Division champion of the Southeastern Conference. Two more undefeateds went down as Iowa knocks off Minnesota at home. 23-19, Iowa gets the win, and Floyd of Rosedale will reside one more time, at least for another year, uh, in Iowa City. Final score, Hawks win it by four, 23-19. Minnesota still in good shape, still has Wisconsin on the schedule to get to the Big Ten title game. But I think the game of the weekend was Oklahoma down 25 points to Baylor. They didn't let Baylor do anything in the second half, and Oklahoma comes back. And really, it could be one of uh, Jalen Hurts' Heisman moments, the quarterback. Jalen Hurts takes a knee, and that will do it. And the Sooners' playoff hopes are still... 25 points. Sound familiar, Atlanta Falcons? What the New England Patriots did to them in the Super Bowl. Iowa State, Matt Campbell, things are rolling around. They played Texas. It came down to a game-winning field goal for Iowa State. A 36-yard field goal try for the win. Snap is good. Hold is good. Kick on the way by Aselli. He got it! He got it! And the Cyclones win it! Connor Aselli out of Naperville, Illinois. Buries a 36-yard field goal. And the Cyclones beat Texas. Matt Campbell, the head coach, is now beating every team in the Big 12. He beat Iowa State when he was at Toledo, so he's ran the gamut. Coming up next, we'll talk Kansas State 
at Texas Tech with John Kurtz is on his way to Lubbock, Texas. That's next. Welcome back to Rush the Field. Time to talk Kansas State football with John Kurtz. He's a sports director at K-Man in Manhattan. Not only that, but John has a uh, podcast on the 435 Podcast Network, Faithful to Our Colors, all about Kansas State athletics. He's currently driving down to Lubbock, Texas, for the game this weekend, Kansas State and Texas Tech, coming up at 6 o'clock Saturday night. What's up, John? Hey, not too much, Jay. Good to talk to you. Good talking to you, too. All right, so so Kansas State, after beating Oklahoma in Manhattan, smashing KU and Lawrence 38-10, to a great game against Texas on the road where they lose by three. Then comes West Virginia. West Virginia at home for Kansas State. Now, I do think maybe a wrench was thrown into that by the name of Jarrett Deggie. He's a quarterback that uh, he was good. He was good at Bowling Green. He led what the Mac in touchdowns and uh, passing yards before transferring to West Virginia, but they finally went to him as quarterback, and he played a good game against Kansas State. Yeah, he was definitely the wrench that got thrown into things. He, he gave West Virginia a spark, and and I think that made a big difference in terms of the energy for the Mountaineers because, for once, I think they believed that they actually had a chance to put up some points and win. Uh, it had been a month since West Virginia had scored more than 17 points in a game before that one on Saturday in Manhattan. And even then, K-State, outside of two fairly fluky plays, would have still won the game. But I do think that was a huge factor for West Virginia. There was a letdown effect for K-State. I think that was pretty obvious. And it was confirmed after the game by Tyler Thompson, Dalton Jones, a couple of guys who really spoke to that, that K-State may have overlooked West Virginia in this game. And, And you rattled off the games that came in succession before the West Virginia game. I think that has something to do with it, too. You had a TCU game, even if you want to tack that one on, that was kind of viewed as a must-win at that point. K-State was feeling pretty desperate coming off back-to-back losses, rolled right into the Oklahoma game. Then you have the game at Kansas. Then you have a real knockdown dragout game at Texas. It's a lot of emotion and energy expended by this team, and I think it's natural to just kind of let your breath out when you come back home to take on West Virginia, a team that had been in free-fall mode having lost five straight. So. I think all of that just coalesced, and, and frankly, K-State is still not at a point right now as good as they look through eight games where they can be taking anyone in the conference lightly because the roster is just not not good and talented enough for K-State to not be focused and go out there on autopilot and just beat teams. And I think, unfortunately, that was the lesson that was learned on Saturday. Skyler Thompson, uh, for second straight week, another career high in passing uh, as he had a career high at Texas, and then against West Virginia, you know, 24-39, 299, and a touchdown. Did have a couple of picks in that game, but Skylar Thompson really finding his rhythm at quarterback. Yeah, you know, it's hard to pin a ton of the loss on on Skylar. I I think the one thing that you would point to if you're going to is the fact that at the end of the game, that last interception that he threw, if he's able to hang in the pocket longer, just a smidge longer. Dalton Schoen was breaking wide open on that last ball, and it would have been a pretty easy touchdown in the end zone. But Skyler got a bit antsy in the pocket when there was some pressure, admittedly early, and that allowed for him not to get his feet set, and he underthrew that ball to Dalton Schoen. I think that's that's really the difference. We're talking about a little better pocket presence, and that's the difference between, yeah, Skyler Thompson not getting much run, not much talk after that game because K-State lost to – hey, that would have been another, it would have been the fifth, fourth quarter comeback 
uh, for Skylar Thompson in his career, and it would have been a huge win, and everybody would have been talking about a 300-yard passing game for Skylar. That's how thin that line can be sometimes. But I do think he's still playing pretty good football. Um, he, he made some really nice throws, including the, the first offensive play of the game for K-State, a 68-yard touchdown to Dalton Schoen. The problem for K-State offensively is just that they didn't have much of a traditional running game again. And, and that is concerning. The offensive line has really gone through different spurts this year where they've either been really good or really bad. Unfortunately, uh, Saturday was, was closer to the really bad end of things for the offensive line. And what about defensively, you know, with the, with the pass defense? It had been the best in the Big 12. Not that West Virginia completely dominated the pass game, although they did pass much better than they ran. Uh, but Daggy, 234 yards passing, three touchdowns against the uh, the league's best pass defense. Yeah, the the tough thing is they they struggled in giving up big plays on third down, which has not been what this defense has been about. They've been tremendous on third down, among the best in the country going into that game. And you had uh, the most glaring of which was a third and 22 that turns into a 50-yard touchdown on really just a coverage bust. Chris Kleiman said if they just didn't uh, – pay attention to the same tactics they've worked on in scramble drills throughout practice week after week, and it got away from them. And that, that was the play of the game. That turned out to be the game-winning touchdown for West Virginia there. West Virginia also scores on two other third-down conversions in the game. And that's one thing Scotty Hazleton, K-State's defensive coordinator, said this week. That's what sticks with him about the game. They give up, I believe it was only four third-down conversions, but three of them wound up being uh, West Virginia scores. So that's, that's the type of thing that you just – you can't have happen, and that's been the bugaboo for K-State's defense all year. They've, they've been pretty good for most of games, but when they have struggled, it's because they're getting gashed once every five to ten plays for a giant play, and that, that kind of negates what some of the success elsewhere has been. Talking to our K-State insider, John Kurtz, and John, on your way to Lubbock as the uh, Kansas State Wildcats take on the Texas Tech Red Raiders. This is a team that's lost four of its last five games, albeit a close one. To Baylor, a 33-30 to game there. Uh, they lose to TCU by just two points last week. Hammered West Virginia 38-17, to who Kansas State lost to. And they beat West Virginia at West Virginia. Of course, that was with a different quarterback in that situation. But it, but they did take Baylor uh, to overtime earlier this year. But uh, Jet Duffy, who's kind of uh, been the quarterback, Alan Bowman, the starter earlier this season, Jeff, Jet Duffy, taken over. And he's really... You look at his numbers, and he's played pretty consistently. Yeah, Duffy's been pretty good. Yeah, I think that's that's helped settle some things down for Texas Tech and given them a chance to push the bowl eligibility here in Matt Wells' first season, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. It's a hard game to really figure out. Vegas, I know, has gone back and forth on who is the favorite. It's, it's been pretty close to a pick kind of a game between K-State and Texas Tech because – yeah, Tech has been uh, sort of a tale of two different halves each of the last two weeks. They they fell way behind at TCU last week and then almost made up the difference to come back and win. week before against West Virginia, they absolutely obliterated the Mountaineers in the first half, and then West Virginia showed some signs of life in the second half. And, and Texas Tech just has not been all that consistent. They've gone through their stretches, so they've played very well. You also think back to the Baylor game. I mean, they really should have beaten Baylor. Uh, they, they got kind of messed over to be honest on the call there on the snap in overtime for the bears that allowed that game to get to overtime that texas tech eventually lost so tech's been pretty close i don't know that there's all that much difference between texas tech and k-state it's been the one bad game texas tech had in lawrence that is the real separation between those two teams right now and i know k-state is concerned about the speed at which texas tech plays on offense 
uh, trying to get the ball snapped basically 10 seconds after a play is done can be a difficult thing for K-State to deal with, and that's that's at the top of the Wildcats list as far as what they're worried about going into this game. And the one thing about Tech is that defense. That defense still a concern for Texas Tech. They're last in total defense in the Big 12, ninth out of 10 in rush defense, and uh, the pass defense dead last in the Big 12 as well. So if there's any solace for Kansas State, they're going against a team that uh, uh, defense is on the field quite a bit, and uh, they have struggled. Yeah, and that's where K-State should be able to run the ball. And I know it sounds like a broken record, but every week we have to wait and get these updates on K-State's running backs, James Gilbert and Jordan Brown. Uh, Courtney Messingham, the offensive coordinator, did seem pretty optimistic about James Gilbert being healthier than he has been in a couple of weeks. That should really help. I think Jordan Brown will play too. Uh, but this is a defense that absolutely, you're right, K-State should be able to run the ball against it. And that's the key. K-State will have to get the ground game going because they do not want to be pushing 40 pass attempts in a game like like they did last week. I think ideally K-State would like to be throwing it 20 to 25 times, and that's the recipe for success. And there was just too much put on the passing game in terms of pressure last week because K-State couldn't run the ball. So, yeah, this is one of those put-up-or-shut-up kind of games where, where K-State absolutely has to be able to control the line of scrimmage on the offensive side of the ball in particular. What's kind of the mood around Manhattan with this team? It sounds like they're pretty disappointed in what happened in West Virginia. This team uh, looking at the schedule and maybe a couple more wins to roll into bowl season strong? Yeah, it was a real buzzkill last week. Uh, you had the, the hype build-up with the uh, the uniforms, and uh, you know that's turned into a, a talking point once again this week about K-State losing in the alternate uniform. <laughs> We're but still I, talking uniforms. Bummer, I think for... <laughs> For a lot of the fan base, unfortunately, um, but you know, I, I think I think things will be okay. I, I think right now this is a program that, with a first-year head coach, is going to experience a lot of ups and downs. They're still getting to know the players. The players are still getting to know the system. I think that's led to some mental errors. If you listen closely to Chris Kleiman throughout the week this week, and sometimes that's going to happen with a first-year head coach. Case they won a game that they shouldn't have won against Oklahoma. They lost a game that they shouldn't have lost against West Virginia, and they're, they're still sitting here with a chance to go 7-5 and five or 8-4, and four, which I, I still think you're looking at the forest through the trees would be a tremendous first season. So, yeah, fans naturally tend to move the goalposts. You know, if you have success early in the year, win six of your first eight, well, now the expectations have been raised from what they were going into the season, which, which can be unfair, to be honest, but I think when the dust settles, K-State will win at least one more game this year because at every twist and turn this season, just when you think you have K-State figured out that, okay, they're 3-0, and they're going to be great, well, nope, they lost two in a row. All right, well, now they're going to really struggle. No, they rip off three straight wins. Now they've lost two in a row again. I think there will be one more turn here where K-State picks up at least another win or two this season, and that'll have fans feeling better going into the offseason. Well, and they are exceeding expectations. They were picked ninth in the Big 12 uh, preseason uh, media ranking, so they're exceeding those expectations. Uh, John, one last thing for you. I wanted to ask you about Dalton Schoen and kind of what he's meant to the program. Here was a guy that came in and, you know, I you know preferred walk-on. I think that's what he was when he originally went to Kansas State. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely walked on, yeah. Didn't have many opportunities, and you talk about a guy – you talk about a guy that's made the most of his opportunities, a guy that really wanted to play for Kansas State. And, uh, you know, seeing what he's done uh, here locally, you know, he played locally here at Blue Valley Northwest. But uh, Dalton Schoen, a senior, he's got a couple more games left. But, man, he's been fun to watch. He has, and I, I, I appreciate Dalton Schoen a whole lot. It's been really fun 
talking to him over the years, he's, he's been one of the guys that has talked to the media quite a bit. Um, he was a trusted confidant, really, with Bill Snyder in terms of talking to the media over the last few years. And then he's opened up more now, to be honest, with the new coaching staff where he's not as worried, I think, about what he says in interview settings. And he's turned into one of the biggest leaders that the team has. And it was, it was funny. He was actually telling us this week yeah, there were some senior day type of questions being asked at him uh, in anticipation of K-State's senior day game next week. And he was actually saying, so he did, he grew up a K-State fan. His dad will say that the first K-State game he went to was the Wildcats win over a top five Nebraska team in 2000 with the snow coming down, Quincy Morgan putting K-State ahead late in that game. It's one uh, all K-State fans remember. And he grew up wanting to go to K-State. He tried sending his film to Andre Coleman and Del Miller, who were assistants at the time. The Wildcats turned him down, even for a preferred walk-on spot, and it was only Dalton Schoen's persistence that actually got him a spot on the team. He wow. had to continue beating down that door, and it was actually getting a preferred walk-on offer from Oklahoma State that turned into the tipping point and finally forced K-State to acquiesce and, and give Dalton Schoen a spot, which he accepted virtually on the spot. So, And he's turned into, he's gone from walk-on that I, I did not think anything of when he came into the program into an above-average to good Big 12 receiver. And he has been better than I would have ever anticipated. He deserves a lot of credit for what he's been able to do because he is a really reliable target and great at going up and getting some 50-50 balls, which I know is what K-State tries to do to utilize him. So love Dalton Schoen. I hope that he closes out his senior year strong, and it's, it's been really fun to watch him. John Kurtz, sports director, K-Man in Manhattan. Follow him on Twitter, at JL Kurtz. Check out his podcast, 435 Podcast Network. Faithful to our colors all about Kansas State. John, safe trip to Lubbock. We'll talk to you uh, soon. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Jay. Anytime. Kansas State and the Red Raiders get after it this weekend. Hear the game right here on 610 Sports Radio. Coming up next, we always talk to the legend, Gary Pinkle. And we'll talk about all things Mizzou. Not only that, I'm kind of curious, how do you deal with failure? Because Missouri's going through that right now. Get the advice from Coach next. Welcome back to Rush the Field and joining us as he does each and every week, the all-time wins leader at the University of Missouri in Toledo. And also check out his uh, work, GaryPinkle.com, GPMade.com. Coach Gary Pinkle. Coach, uh, good evening, sir. Good evening. How you doing? Hey, we're doing great, Coach. And I tell you what, uh, a week away from Thanksgiving, won't have a show next week, but uh, a little bit different for you now, being retired instead of coaching, where you get to actually spend the uh, spend the holidays with the family? Well, you know, and I've never been down to the plaza there in Kansas City. I've never been down to uh, the lights, the Toronto lights on, you know. That's a couple of years we've been out and about. And uh, this year, all my family, my kids and my grandkids are all going to go to their other parents, you know, in, in, in Ohio and, and, and so on. So my wife and I are going to go down to the plaza and enjoy that and have that experience. And yeah, that's really pretty cool. You're going to be down there when they turn the lights on? Yeah, because I've never been there when that's happened before because I was coaching. <laughs> Last couple of years I could, but I just I just haven't been in town there to do it. So I'm looking forward to finally uh, seeing it. It's, uh, it's a once-in-a-lifetime deal, Coach. They they pack those streets, though. Uh, uh, get used to being around a lot of people that night. Yeah, I, I got a uh, – we're staying in a nice hotel. There. Oh, good. All right. Well, that makes it uh, that makes it even better. But it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and I think it's a, it's a lot of fun. But, uh, Coach uh, – uh, Missouri uh, losing this week uh, to Florida. Uh, the NCAA, of course, we've talked about that, has not done anything about the bull ban. If they would do something about it, because they, they were active yesterday in James Wiseman, this Memphis basketball player, uh, ruling on him. I thought maybe they'd get to Missouri, but Tennessee 
in Arkansas remain. Tennessee, uh, despite the record, they're coming in just like Mizzou. Um, I, I'm actually interested in this game, Coach, because both these teams, you know, 5-5 five and five and kind of want to salvage the season. Yeah, well, they lost. I mean, they lost. Uh, uh, I think I mean, Tennessee's won their last three, I think. So, uh, anyway, they're, they're, they're Tennessee's much improved. They've really improved to see this, what's going on. Uh, you know, if, if for us, you know, every every coach is going through what Coach Odin's going through. So, I mean, it's not like you know, this is this, this never happens. It happens to everybody. And, uh, you know, the big thing you have to do is remain positive. Um, you got to, you got to, you know, present and work with, with the players and the captains and the seniors about, you know, you know, getting better and having a great, great week of practice. Uh, I think that's those are those are real important. You're going to be playing for the seniors. It's going to be our last home game, and that's a real big deal at Mizzou. Um, so, uh, you know, I continue obviously to be positive. Um, but uh, like you know, you, you're going to the season seven and five be bowl eligible and, and get a good bowl for a lot of the ten. So, there's a lot of positives yet, and, and I. I choose a turn look at it that way. Coach, what did you do in these situations? We've talked about it before uh, with you talking about, uh, you know, some of the advice you, you would seek from other coaches like Don James. Was there was there a go-to for you uh, when the season wasn't going the direction? Was there somebody uh, that you reached out to besides your old coaches? Yeah, there's a few coaches uh, that I was kind of connected to over the years. You know, certainly Don James is one of them. And, uh, yeah, I think you do that. But yeah, the other side of that, too, is, you know, with all you look back to all your experiences, and that's what I do. I look back to all the experiences that I, that I had when I was at Washington and as an assistant in you know, the 12 years I was, you know, I was at Toledo and kind of remember being in similar situations. And, uh, and, and the other thing, too, is, I, and I might mention this before, but I think this is real important. In August, you go through your whole program and what you're about and what you stand for. And obviously you do it year round. That's the process happening every day. But it's something that's really, really important uh, to be able to um, we one day when you nine at eight o'clock we have a team meeting every night. And I talk about forty five minutes and I talk about uh, uh, adversity. And I'll talk to the whole team about it. And and, uh, and the older players will be sitting up in front and I'll and, and I'll tell them I'll, the younger guys in the back. And I'll just say point to the guys up front. These guys know all the one we'll talk about in a minute. And this is our this is how we're going to handle adversity when it happens here at the University of Missouri. And so I talked to them about we should remain positive, that we are being encouraging, that that uh, you know we don't need any locker room lawyers, you know, guys running around. Um, uh, we we keep everything in house. That's what we always do. We're going to be protecting the other, protect, protect our family, protect our team. And I think a combination of those things, uh, and then and then uh, as coaches, we're going to come up with a good plan that gets back corrected. But we got to really have great practices and and do our preparation the final 48 hours the best. So I would always revert back to that all the time. You know, we lost two in a row. Players looking at me, they're down, they're in trouble. But you know, we got a plan here. And you know, we thought we tried to fix it last week. We tried, but you keep battling because you, you never know when greatness is around the corner. You never know when it's going to flip. And so um, you, we just go back to our plans. Probably as critical as anything is to keep the team positive within each other and with all the stuff going on that could be going on because if that breaks down, then it becomes problematic in many ways. Well, good stuff there, Coach. And, uh, you know, in other SEC news, um, you know, it's really a shame what happened to Alabama, you know, when Nick Saban losing Tua. 
the way that he did. I know he had a tremendous uh, amount of uh, respect and admiration for Tua, and I think it goes back to to Nick Saban. But that you know that's tough for a team sitting five in the college football playoffs in losing you know a Heisman front runner type in Tua. Yeah, well, yeah, I feel real, really bad. He's a great kid too, and I just just what I hear, you see his interviews and how he leads and how he handles his team. I just think that's really awesome. Um, yeah, that's that's difficult. You know, Nick was getting criticized by some of the media people about playing him. Uh, and first of all, Nick doesn't decide whether he's going to play or not. Okay, the medical staff determines whether he's going to play, and certainly that player has input input with the medical staff. But coaches don't walk around and, and say, you know, you're going to play or not going to play. That doesn't happen. Um, most often when I've been here in some of our five, the uh, you know, five of the years I was here, uh, my last eight, we won 10 of games or more, but we were beating some people by 35 points at halftime. We would, we just didn't say, okay, let's bring all the, I want to get the backups in, but your, but your, but your top units have got to get a few series in the second half. So I would tell the staff, they what we're going to do is we're going to go two series in the second half, offense and defense. Then we're going to check with me, and then we'll our, start putting our backups in. Because they just need work. You can't just play half games. And uh, so I think it was really, really, just really, I was real disappointed in some media. Uh, these guys sitting there evaluating whether Nick Saban should play him or not. And, uh, and uh, so anyway, um, there's nothing wrong with what he did. It's unfortunate it happened. Uh, but you know what? Move them over, move them up. You know, it, it, obviously, you feel so so much for the player, but now it's going to be important for everybody to step it up. What I've done before is okay, everybody in this, everybody playing on that field, you got to play by two, three percent better than you did before. Because we all do that, then we're going to have a chance to overcome the, the loss of this great player. And uh, I'm sure Nick's going to do those things, and you know, we'll see how it goes. Well, I'm exactly with you on that. There was three minutes left in the second quarter. I mean, it's not like he was playing late in the game. This was. This was three minutes left in the second quarter, Coach. This was still early, so I completely understand while he was still playing. I do want to ask you, though, to, to, to leave you on this, Coach, a, a coaching standpoint. Do you remember when Tua first came in in that national title game? I don't think Nick Saban gets the credit, you know, for coaching. and What a hard decision that was. Jalen Hurts, the guy with only two losses in his history for Alabama. You know, you're losing at halftime of a national title game, and you go to a true freshman. Uh, that was a gutsy call that he made. I don't think he gets the credit. Well, he gets credit for it, but I don't think we realize how gutsy that call was. It really was. Uh, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, he, you know, first of all, he didn't get really bothered me. He didn't really care to criticize him. Not in our business. If you're worried about getting criticized, then you better go do something else. But that was a that was a very bold move, and it was a great move. The reason why it was a great move is it worked. <laughs> so it's a, a great call. When you do stuff like that, it works. It was a great one, but guess what? If it doesn't work, it ain't going to be very good. So, uh, you know, I, I that was a very bold move. But, you know, he had some, he had something, you know, instincts, your gut feeling. You know, great leaders make decisions a lot of times where they're, after analyzing everything, with their gut feeling. And I, I just, sure, there's probably some things going on with Jalen in the last few weeks, maybe not playing as well or something. Anyway, at the end of the day, he felt it was necessary to make that move or work. You know, he looked like a genius. And uh, but those those are decisions you have to make. And you know, most of our decisions we do for us, we had you know, we call a Thursday checklist, and we would go about and we'd set about a two and a half hour meeting every Thursday before a game, and we would go through about anything and everything that can happen with this down assistance field position plus twenty coming out. You know, I, I can go on and on and on. 
and, um, and and all the different areas of the kicking game, what our plans were, what, what, what would work best against our opponents. And so most of those decisions are made on the, in the calm of intelligence discussion, not in the, in the heat of the battle where you've got to make, you know, to make these calls. Uh, you really narrow it down to put yourself in the best position to get the right offense, defensive call. Um, but uh, that was always fun to be able to do that. But there are some times, you know, there's a gut feeling, you know, okay, we're going to run a, a fake field goal. I remember in 2003, we beat Nebraska the first time in 25 years. And, and we, we went for a fake field goal. And if it, you know, if it had been intercepted and they went for a touchdown, you know, I wouldn't have been in the, in the hero call that I, that I, that, that I uh, agreed with. Uh, we ended up hitting it in there and then kind of shut that game down. Then. But uh, um, those decisions are all made uh, for us on Thursdays. And, and it's much easier to be smarter, uh, you know, making, you know, because of the analysis you did prior to smarter game day. No question. Missouri versus Tennessee, 630 SEC Network. I would ask you about the playoff rankings, but they did not change uh, with the top five this week. Uh, Coach has got a book, The 100-Yard Journey. Get it now for Christmas time. You go to GaryPinkle.com, GPMade.com. Dave Matter he wrote it with Coach Pinkle. The forward is by uh, the man we were talking about, Coach Nick Saban. Uh, Coach, uh, I wish you and your family uh, a happy Thanksgiving. I appreciate you coming on and uh, – Always like the coaching input from you. Yeah, well, it was kind of fun to talk about that stuff. And happy Thanksgiving to all, all the folks out there listening. Uh, you know, go Mizzou. Uh, and uh, I even say happy Thanksgiving to, to Kansas. <laughs> I want to just be honored that I did say one thing possible. Well, <laughs> enjoy the lights, Coach. Okay. Enjoy the lights. Bye. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. There you go, Gary Pickle right there. Even wishing happy Thanksgiving to Kansas. Never thought he would, but he did. He wished happy Thanksgiving to Kansas fans right there. Speaking of Kansas, Josh Klingler from Fesco in the Morning, sideline reporter for the Kansas Jayhawks. They traveled to Iowa State this weekend. We get the latest scoop from playing next. Welcome back to Rush to Field. Time to talk about the Kansas Jayhawks with the sideline reporter of the Kansas Jayhawks and, of course, the co-host Fesco in the Morning here tomorrow morning, 558, right here at 610 Sports Radio. Josh Klingler. Kling, good evening. Good evening, Bank. Kansas, the Jayhawk football team, uh, it was a tough game to go down to Oklahoma State. Listen, it's never easy to go down there and play, but uh, Kansas losers of six of the last seven. I guess they kept it relatively close, 31-13 to 13 to Oklahoma State, but some reason that offense not going as planned. I mean, they didn't really parlay, I guess, the victories after that Texas Tech game a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they respond on Saturday because I think uh, – there was a pretty big emotional toll from, from losing last week. Ahead of the bye week, they had two full weeks to prepare and then came out and had some of the, the same issues we've seen in the past uh, few weeks in terms of offense, actually the, the K-State game and, and the Oklahoma State game, and, and really a, a season-long trend, which is getting off to slow starts. And I talked about that last week, Bank. They had 13 points in the first quarter of Big 12 games through six games. Well, they got bagled again last week in the uh, the first quarter. So certainly the offense is searching for question marks. They made the quarterback switch at halftime from Carter Stanley to Manny Miles and back to Carter Stanley. And it appears that, that Stanley, it's his job, but they were trying to just create some kind of a spark last week. But they got to get things uh, short up offensively. And also off the table now is, you know, they had a carrot dangling. They were, they were intent on getting six wins and becoming goal eligible. Well, that's out the window now with just two games remaining and, and uh, three wins. So, they're just trying to figure out a way to get win four and win number five and at least 
feel like that they pushed this program forward, at least from the, the senior class perspective. Well, they travel to Ames, Iowa to play Iowa State at 11 o'clock on Saturday. Iowa State's one of these teams that kind of pushed their way through, beating some teams unexpectedly. So a, a chance for Kansas to, to get the five wins if they can win this one and then parlay it against Baylor. But listen, Iowa State and Baylor, you know, no chumps. These are very good football teams. Yeah. So for Kansas, it's going to be a tough game against Iowa State this weekend. Yeah, and also the scene of their last Big 12 road win, which unfortunately dates back to 2008. So uh, I'm not uh, so sure that you know repeat is is in the offing against an Iowa State team that that got that kind of signature win for themselves last week and knocking off Texas. They have they've had about as good a losses as anybody I think think in the, in yeah. the country this year. Um, basically losing four of their games to all kind of ranked foes. So they picked one off last week in Texas and are playing. Uh, pretty good football right now, and obviously it'll be a big favorite at home where they always play great in Ames. Iowa State this weekend, then Baylor to round out the season for the Kansas Jayhawks. Josh, uh, we'll talk to you later. We'll see you around, my friend. All right, thanks, Mike. There you go, Josh Klingler right there, co-host Fesco in the morning. Well, it's time to take a look at my top three games for the weekend. Also that, let's have a little fun with the Heisman Trophy as well as we're getting closer and closer to it. My top three games this weekend, Julio. Like I told you, grab your popcorn. I'm not not exactly wild about the games this weekend, to be honest with you. But I am intrigued 11 a.m. on Fox. Number eight, Penn State at number two, Ohio State. Again, Okuda, the best corner in the nation, plays for Ohio State. Chase Young is back after that little suspension. That one-game suspension the NCAA gave him. 13 and a half sacks, second in the nation. This guy was climbing the Heisman Trophy charts. Could have won maybe the Heisman Trophy as a defensive player, but wasn't meant to be as he was suspended a game, but that's 11 a.m. I'm actually wanting to see Illinois. How about Lovey Smith? Illinois, four straight wins for Lovey Smith and the fabulous beard at Iowa. Number 17, Iowa, 11 a.m., Big Ten Network. In Texas at Baylor, and I'm interested in this one, Baylor still trying to get to that Big 12 title game. Baylor embarrassed what happened to him last week blowing a 25-point lead to the Oklahoma Sooners. So that's my top three games of this weekend. I've put together my Heisman Trophy favorites as well. We might as well do that. We're at that time of year. Number one, this guy, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, shotgun snap. Quick screen to Jefferson near side. Got a block he needed. 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Touchdown, Tigers. Joe Burrow, believe it or not, an LSU quarterback. Number two in the nation in passing yardage. 3,687 yards, 38 touchdowns, just one behind Anthony Gordon of Washington State. So Washington State, that air raid offense, just one touchdown behind him. Had 489 yards and five touchdowns on the road at Ole Miss to follow up as 393 and three touchdowns against Alabama. Thrown for at least 300 yards uh, every game this year except for 293 against Florida. But he was 21 for 24 in that game. Number two on the Heisman Trophy list, this guy leading Ohio State. Snap to Justin Fields. He'll float that left corner of the end zone. Ball in the air. Caught by Benjamin Victor. The officials haven't given a signal yet. And touchdown, Benjamin Victor. Ohio State is legit. This team's averaging 41.5 point victories each and every week, less by, led by Justin Fields. Threw for over 300 yards, though, for the first time this year, but it hadn't mattered. Ohio State been hammering everybody this year, but he's thrown for 2,100 yards. 31 touchdowns, just one, one interception has ran for 377 yards and oh, and 10 more touchdowns for Justin Fields. I think he gets that invite 
to New York. Speaking of invites, how about Jalen Hurts? Rambo in motion. Snap to Hurts. Fakes a handoff. Rolls right. Looks in zone. Caught! Touchdown! Braden Willis! Oh, mama! They've come all the way back! That's right. He led that 25-point comeback at Baylor. Kind of a Heisman-type moment for Jalen Hurts. Passed for 297, four touchdowns, ran for another 114 yards. Kind of Vince Young that game. He just took it under his wings and controlled that game for Oklahoma. For the season, 3,039 yards passing, 28 touchdowns, just five picks. Oh, by the way, he's also ran for 983 and 15 more touchdowns. That's right. He's real close to 1,000 yards. He could be 3,001 yards in 1,000, just like, well, like Lamar Jackson, who did it two straight years in a row. My favorite running back uh, this year is one Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. I don't think he gets near the run that he deserves. Handoff Taylor running left, turns it back right, inside the 10, inside the 5, to the end zone, touchdown. Jonathan Taylor from 11 yards away, and the Badgers now lead it 33-14. to 14. Second nation rushing behind Chuba Hubbard, 204 yards rushing against Nebraska, had 250 the week before against Iowa. Not only that, but also rounding out the list. Chuba Hubbard, the man mentioned. Sanders takes the ball, hands it off, Hubbard up the middle, and he barrels his way into the end zone. Pistols firing. Touchdown, Oklahoma State for Chuba Hubbard, his second of the day, number 20 on the year. Chuba Hubbard, the nation's leading rusher for Oklahoma State. This has been Rush the Field. Hope you enjoyed it. Big thanks to Julio Sanchez. See you in a couple weeks. Rush the Field with Jay Binkley.